those words we just sang were actually originally written at the beginning of the last century um, during one of the evangelistic campaigns of the preacher R.A. Tory um, and the singer Charles Alexander. And it was in spring of 1908, um, during a mission in Philadelphia, that Charles Alexander was called across the lobby of a hotel where they were staying and introduced to a young man who had a, a story to tell. And this young man's face shone as he told Charles Alexander of how he had been wonderfully converted just a few nights ago in one of their meetings. Um, he went on to say how he had been in darkness. He felt he was too weak to live the Christian life. But during that meeting, the congregation sang, he will hold me fast. Um, and this young man realized it was the very message that he needed, uh, the thought that Christ could hold him fast. Um, he need not depend upon his own power, his own strength, but his means was turning to Christ. He will hold me fast. The very message that he needed. And this, of course, is exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ promises to do in the verses that we are considering this morning in John's Gospel, chapter 10, verses 28 to 30. He promises to hold us fast. That is to hold us firmly, or to hold us tightly, or to hold us closely, to hold us fast. Praise his name. And the truth is put plainly at the heart of Christ's promise here, summed up in four words in the middle of verse 28, speaking of his sheep. They shall never perish. They shall never perish. It's what theologians call the eternal security of the believer or the final perseverance of the saints. Perhaps a better phrase would be the final preservation of the saints. That is, every Christian is held fast, held closely, held firmly, securely to the very end by the Lord Jesus Christ and will be eternally saved. You might prefer it in ordinary, everyday language. I remember an older believer saying to me once, Andrew, saved and secure. What a privilege is ours. Saved and secure. What a privilege is ours. So as we consider this promise this morning that they shall never perish or that Jesus Christ promises to hold us fast, we need to bear in mind, of course, the context of the passage. In the verses preceding our text and throughout the earlier verses of John chapter 10, we have our Lord Jesus Christ referring to the sheep and himself as the good shepherd. And in response to the Jews questioning of him in verse 24 as to whether he is the Christ to tell them plainly, he makes it very clear to them who his sheep are, particularly what the marks of his sheep are in verses 26 and 27. So before we consider how the shepherd holds his 
sheep vast. We must be very clear about who his sheep are. And there are four marks of Christ's sheep, four evidences that they are his. First, they have saving faith. In verse 26, Christ puts it negatively. He speaks to these spiteful Jews, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. The saving mark of a true Christian, his sheep, is personal saving faith in Jesus Christ. They trust in Jesus Christ alone to be saved. Does this mark you? Second, they listen to the shepherd's voice in verse 27. My sheep, says Jesus, hear my voice. That is, they really listen to his word. Uh, When I was in school, one of the music teachers um, used to say, there's a great difference between hearing music and listening to music. Well, Christ, you really listen to his word. They take it seriously. We will never hear his word casually, is what Jesus is saying. They listen. They listen. Third, they are known by the shepherd. He says, I know them. In verses 14 and 15, he likens his knowledge to how he knows the Father and how the Father knows him. A deep, divine, loving acquaintance. And the sheep know the shepherd, not in an intellectual way, like you're studying for an exam, you're learning a load of facts, or how you might know about a celebrity you follow, or the queen, a second-hand way, but rather you have believed into him. You've gone to Christ. You've entered that divine relationship of love with Christ. And the fourth mark of the sheep is that they follow Jesus Christ. The present tense of the verb is used in verse 27. It's an ongoing following. The direction of the life of the sheep is towards Christ. It's faith in Christ, repentance towards God. And they follow none other. And though his sheep are prone to wander, it is Jesus Christ they follow and they know his voice. Let me ask you, are you one of his sheep? Sheep have smit marks on them. I'd never heard of that before. But it's that coloured dye on them. If you go past fields, you might see coloured dye on a sheep. So they can be identified as part of the flock. Do you have these four marks made by Jesus' dye of grace? And Christ assures his sheep who have these marks that they will be held fast in the promise that he gives here in verses 28 to 30. He's a tender shepherd, isn't he? He's a kind shepherd. And he knows that we're prone to doubt. He knows our frames. So what does he give us here? How can we be really sure when doubts arise that we shall be held finally tightly in the hand of Christ? How can we who are his sheep be certain that we will never perish? Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 12, tells us that a threefold cord, like a rope with three cords, is not easily broken. And here the Lord Jesus Christ, the shepherd himself, presents us with a threefold cord of promise that cannot be broken, that we can hold tightly to. So I want to unravel that cord this morning, this, this promise, 
and to consider by God's grace the three cords, the three strands of assurance that give us certainty that he promises to hold us fast, that his sheep will never perish. The first thing is this, the gift of the shepherd, the gift of the shepherd. Verse 28, Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. The shepherd gives his sheep eternal life. Three things from this. First, only Jesus Christ can give eternal life. Google it. I'm quite serious when I say that. We tend to Google a lot these days. But if you Google that, I say that because you'll actually find it's only this man, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, born 2,000 years ago in that backwater town in the Middle East, who has been the only person to claim to give eternal life without it being proved false. Think about it for one moment. Think. Isn't it remarkable that he who was the humble servant, meekness itself, made what would have been the most arrogant and egocentric statements ever to be made unless they were actually true? He says in this passage, I am the good shepherd, a unique claim. In John 14, verse 10, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. To be the most humble man that ever walked this earth, yet to uphold such unique and bold claims, proves himself to be God alone, who alone can give eternal life. And my friends, it's only when we see this that salvation is to be found in none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, that we begin to understand the kingdom of heaven. Where are you looking this, for, this morning, my friend, for eternal life? All our best efforts turn out to be as filthy rags, don't they, before a holy God. Earthly priests, earthly religions lead to death and to destruction. Have you heard of Corrie ten Boom? I wonder, she could say this, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. If you look at Christ, you'll be at rest. You'll be at rest. He speaks truth. He alone is the truth. Believe in him. But second, we can say it's, it is a gift here. Emphasize it's a gift. So not just Jesus Christ alone gives us eternal life, but it's a gift. Have you ever received a gift and it's turned out not to be a gift? I was reading about a lady who split up with her partner and then discovered he had kept all the receipts for everything he had given her. Um, right down to cinema tickets and even a bar of chocolate. And then he started texting her, saying he wanted more than £20,000 back. But if someone has ever asked for a gift back from you that they gave, it was, it was never a gift in the first place. A gift is free and never asks in return. Eternal life is a gift. Not something that we can earn by any merit of our own. 
The Apostle Paul writes, doesn't he, to the Romans, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Um, we all, by nature, don't we, we serve sin. Sin is our master, and sin pays our wages. And what wages does it pay? Well, death is the wages that we earn. Um, eternal separation from God. But the wonderful news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ gives us eternal life. Um, if you want to remember what the gospel stands for, God offers sinful people eternal life. God offers sinful people eternal life. Um, there's no hidden costs. It doesn't cost a penny for us. I was once booking, um, I think it was Ryanair, uh, for a flight, and it seemed so cheap initially when it came up on the search engine. But the more I clicked through each page, the more it would add on things like luggage, unusual hand luggage, um, boarding pass, reprint free, air to breathe, almost. <laughs> But the cost became massive, massive. Hidden costs. There are no hidden costs with the gospel. It's 100% free. A free gift of God's grace, my friend, offered to sinners. And like any gift, it must be received, received. Have you received this eternal life that only Jesus Christ, the shepherd, can give? And Jesus is speaking in the present tense here. He's saying, I give you eternal life. I continue to give it to you. But we must remember the generosity of the giver here. Although it costs us nothing, it cost him everything. Everything. For God so loved the world. What did he do? That he, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. Everlasting life came at the cost of his own dear son. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him freely give us all things, writes the Apostle Paul. So eternal life, God freely gives us eternal life, but the cost was the cost of his very son's life. And the nature of the gift, notice, it's eternal life. What is eternal life, you might ask? What really is it? Well, in John 17, the Lord Jesus Christ prayed to the Father, and he gives an insight to what eternal life is there. Do you remember what he prays in verse 3? He says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life, it's knowing God, isn't it? The only true God and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. We often think of eternal life in terms of quantity sometimes, endless life, which is true. But really the heart of it is the quality there. It's knowing the true and the living God. Um, we who are enemies of God reconciled to him. The living God joined to him in Jesus Christ, a wonderful 
free gift of God's good grace. Um, and Jesus Christ, he's given his very life, isn't he? He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep in verse 11. It's himself, isn't it? Himself. Knowing Jesus Christ, the words of a hymn, and not alone the gift of life, but his own self. He gave me wonderful, eternal life, knowing God, knowing Christ. You might say, well, Andrew, so how does any of that bring assurance? What are you trying to say? Well, think about it. Jesus Christ, the giver, is the truth. He cannot lie. A gift is freely given and never asked for in return, ever. And eternal life is eternal. So unless any of those things cease to be, the promise is sure that if we have eternal life, we've received the gift that we are safe and secure in Jesus Christ. The second security in this promise is not just the gift of the shepherd, but the grip of the shepherd. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, he now links, and they shall ne never perish to something else in verse 28. He goes on to say, neither shall anyone snatch them out of Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. He draws and focuses our attention to his very own hand, the hand of the shepherd that holds and grips the sheep securely. And there are two aspects we should consider with this hand. First, it's a powerful hand, a powerful hand. I wonder whether you saw recently the astounding images uh, from the James Webb Space Telescope of the cosmos. They were all over the news, uh, pictures of the distant galaxies, the vastness of our universe. Well, the very hand that created those wonders, that flung stars into space, the very hand that created the Niagara Falls, uh, Jupiter, the Grand Canyon, the Rocky Mountains that sustains the stars, the planets, gives you breath, holds your cells together, the DNA in your body. This very same hand holds his sheep. It's the powerful hand of the creator, the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? The word who was in the beginning with God, through who also he made the worlds. All things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. All things were created through him and for him. They are the hands of him who upholds all things by the word of his power. Such powerful hands of Christ. How are we kept, says Peter, by the power of God, isn't it? The creator's hands. And you know, if hands like that can create such glories and wonders that we see around us, then the same mighty hands of love will hold his sheep tightly. His grip, it's an infinitely powerful grip, isn't it? Powerful hands, we're safe in the powerful hands of Christ. But the second aspect of the hands is that they are also pierced hands, pierced hands. His hands were pierced, the hands that made the mountain range and forest glade, that washed the stains of sin away, 
and change to earth's darkness into day. Jesus Christ, verse 11, tells us that the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And he goes on to say in verse 17 that he lays down his life. The shepherd became the sacrificial lamb. And such love towards such enemies leads to such cruel nails being put through the palms of the creator. And that amazing thing that he strengthened the hands of those that nailed him to the cross. And there on the cross, he bore the penalty for my sin, his guilt upon my guilt, upon his shoulders. His guilt was the guilt that he was taking for me. And that's wonderful. The shepherd dies there in the place of the sheep. Such amazing love that we may have forgiveness of sins and receive eternal life. And as the Roman soldiers, as they nail through the hands of Jesus Christ, those nail prints and marks now of the risen and ascended Jesus Christ, the ones he still bears, guarantees each of them the names of those for whom he died. Isaiah 49 verse 16 says, See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. The nail marks point to each and every sheep for whom Jesus Christ died, kept safely by his wonderful power. So we can be sure, can't we? We can absolutely know that the shepherd will hold us tightly because he died for his sheep and he still bears those marks to show this. Um, Do you remember he showed a doubting Thomas? Um, He was doubting. Maybe you are this morning. You're not quite sure. And he says to you this morning, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. My name from the palms of his hands, eternity will not erase. Impressed on his heart, it remains in marks of indelible grace. Yes, I to the end shall endure, as sure as the earnest is given. More happy, but not more secure, the glorified spirits in heaven. And this should help us practically, you know, in three areas of our lives. First, we should have sure confidence that we will be held fast. I wonder what you're going through uh, right now. What really is your greatest fear? Um, And our greatest fears are often hidden from others. And we often feel that something is trying to pluck us, something is trying to pull us. And that should never surprise believers. Christ says that here. Be persuaded, my friends, even when we don't feel like it, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, or any other created thing can tear you from the hand of Christ. Hold to that, my friend, even in the dark. It should help us, too, to submit to his sovereign will and guidance. We're being held, we're being guided as we press on by the pierced hands of Christ. Think of the words of the hymn, my times are in thy hand. Jesus, the crucified, those hands my cruel sins have pierced are now my God and guide, isn't it? So we're in his hands, safely, securely kept 
And the last aspect, it should stir up in a sacrificial service to our shepherd all our days. His hands and feet and heart, all three were pierced for me at Calvary. And here and now, to him I bring my hands, feet, heart, and offering. So the second chord of a threefold chord that cannot be broken, the grip of the shepherd, those powerful hands that were pierced for us, will hold us fast. And then finally, what does Christ give us here? What assurance? Well, the third and final point is the Godhead of the shepherd, the Godhead of the shepherd. What does Jesus Christ say here? Um, Well, in verse 29, he begins... My father, he says, um, having spoken about the shepherd's gift and the shepherd's grip, he perhaps unexpectedly starts to speak of his father here. You might not expect that. Why is this so vital? Why is it so important? Um, Well, he's lifting our heads up, isn't he? Um, The eyes of his listeners, even down to us this morning, to the greatness of God himself and to put all things into perspective. We can easily lose perspective, can't we? Um, We get caught up in our own fears, our own doubts, our own worries. I remember somebody who studied in Aberystwyth some years back in uh, the old theological college on the front. And when college got too much for them, they'd walk up Constitution Hill, and they would actually just cover the college with the end of their thumb. And it would disappear. And they thought, well, that's really putting everything into perspective. Well, here, Jesus Christ, he's helping us as his weak, feeble sheep to gain perspective. He's telling us this is all about God himself. We are only the sheep. He is the shepherd. And he wants to emphasize this is God's story. You must remember that God's history It's his story, his story. History is God's story. And he's fully committed, God the Father, God the Son, to keeping and preserving his sheep. He tells us, my Father are one. It's the united Godhead here, the, the oneness of the nature of God, the Father, and Jesus Christ, the Son, in two persons. Um, One God, one God at work. And he tells us that God, the Father, who is greater than all, the almighty God, he's given his sheep to his son. And the Father, my friends, is just as interested in our safety as the son. And he goes on to tell us that the sheep are also safe in the Father's hands. He says, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hands. If I put a feather this morning on my hand and I blew it would blow away. But if you covered that feather, it would be secure. And if you put a second hand over that, you can blow as much as you like. That feather will be secure in the palm of two hands. There's a double grip here. We're kept safely by the father and by the son, safely within their grip. Maybe you feel battered and bruised this morning as one of Christ's sheep. Winds are blowing from the world and the flesh and the devil. 
from without, from within, tribulations. Maybe you're going through distress. Maybe you're going through persecution. Maybe you've wandered far. Maybe you feel I fail the Lord too much. I'm unfaithful, folly, backslidings. But come what may, my friends, held secure in the double grip of God the Father and God the Son. This is the gospel, my friends. It's about his saving love, about his keeping power, ultimately his glory. And if we think for one moment, is it anything to do with us, our strength, our efforts? We've not grasped his promise here. An old Scottish minister was once visiting a dying old saint who was still very conscious. He had known her well, and he was aware of her deep knowledge of God. Mary, he asked her, what if at the last the Lord were to desert you? Ah, minister, that would never be, she responded. Because, you see, he would lose far more than I. How so? asked the minister. Well, she said quietly, I might lose my soul, but he would lose his honour. And that would never be. Do you see what she saw? Since the living Godhead has vowed, has covenanted that his sheep would never perish, what is ultimately at stake is nothing less than the honour of God himself, the very glory of God. He will hold me fast. That very message that man in Philadelphia in 1908 needed, the very message we all need. This morning in 2022, a threefold cord that cannot be broken, the gift, the grip, the Godhead of the shepherd. Ultimately, it's all about him, the glory and honor of our God. We are only the sheep. He is the shepherd. Is he your shepherd? When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the temper would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold, he must hold me fast. Those he saves are his delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight. He will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost, he will hold me fast. For my life, he bled and died. Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied. He will hold me fast. Raised with him to endless life. He will hold me fast till our faith is, and it will be, turned to sight when he comes at last. Oh, what a day that will be.
He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Saviour, he's a Saviour, loves me so. He will hold me fast. Amen.